Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But in Gilmore Girls, it's like everyone enjoys Stars Hollow. Everyone's got their, their function. Everyone's got their place. Everyone fits in. Everyone's got their friends. Even the people who are like jerks, it's a fantasy of a small town. Is it realistic? No, but that's not always why we go to television. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic, pretentious, 140-character review of your favorite movie? Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com. Hello once again, my friend, and welcome into the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis, your chief of the Stream Police and the movies and TV editor at Overdue Review. We'll be hearing just a little bit from our music editor, Andy Sedlak. Glad to be back behind the microphone with you, my friend. Uh, Been a little longer than it usually has been. That's because we are now taking on a new schedule here on the Stream Police. I hate to disappoint you, but we're uh, bumping the show back to every four weeks now or about once a month. And that's really just because I felt like uh, I I don't want the show to be the kind of thing where we repeat ourselves every week, or at least me. Sedlak doesn't really do that. He talks about, you know, really kind of a a more wider breadth of things and and current music topics and and musicians dying and that kind of stuff changes all the time. But uh, for TV shows, uh, I just, I don't want to keep talking about the same, saying the same talking points on the same shows every week. And on this show, I kind of like to give you a, a bigger overview, a bigger review of a full season of a TV show rather than just a few episodes. Uh, so, you know, I feel like once every four weeks we'll still really be able to do that and I'll be able to give you more of a, a good look at shows without, uh, you know, kind of boring you by saying the same things over and over again. So, uh, there you go. That's the lowdown on the uh, new schedule for the Stream Police podcast. But catch us right here on iTunes, on Stitcher, on uh, Acast, wherever it is that you happen to listen to the show, or up there at OverdueReview.com. We do post every new episode to the website. All right, not much has changed, though. Let me go ahead and light my stogie up here, sitting in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, talking to you. Now, let me get it nice and smoky. All right. Nice little wintertime stogie. you got to like it. Can't go outside and smoke them so much. So, hey, I'll sit in my tiny little closet right here and, uh, and smoke them that way if you don't mind. 
All right, got a lot of TV and movies to get to in this episode. Coming up down the road, we're going to be talking about a lot more, I would say in the next episode, probably a lot more movie action because most of the TV shows are on fall break now, uh, mid-season break. So and, it, and it's finally good movie season again, so I'll be uh, looking forward to telling you about some of the films that I'm seeing in theaters right now. Uh, that'll come up later in the show, but right now let's start off as we always do with the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And for this week, I'm going back to the early 1990s. The fledgling Fox network only had a handful of shows, but thankfully this was one of its shows, and this remains one of the great shows in television history. I'm talking about In Living Color and its theme song with the long and awkward title, Cause That's the Way You're Living When You're Living in Living Color, by Heavy D and the Boys. Now, careful listeners will know that theme song, the one I'm talking about this time, is the one from the fifth and final season of the show. It was a remix of the theme song they used in the first two seasons, and then they did change the theme song for the third and fourth seasons, which was still really good, uh, and then they went back to a remixed version of the original theme song for the fifth season. So that's the one I like the most, the last season's theme song, and that's the one that uh, I'm going to play for you here. And, and this is not just a good theme song. But I swear to God, if this song had been extended and released on radio, I really think it could have been a hit song in like 1993, 94 when it came out. This song just exemplifies early 90s hip hop and New Jack Swing so well. And that beat is so upbeat. It samples James Brown. It samples Biz Marquis. And Heavy D, just really the perfect guy to do this theme song. Keenan Ivory Wayans, who created In Living Color, was a genius in the way that he crafted this show. I mean, from top to bottom. Every every move that he made for this show, I feel like, was just perfect and, and just worked so well in that time period. And picking Heavy D to do the theme song was, again, a stroke of genius by Keenan Ivory Wayans. So when the first season aired on Fox in 1990, Heavy D was like just coming up and he was just kind of getting some fame and making his name really uh, in the music business. He had done a verse on Janet Jackson's hit song, All Right, which came out in 1989. And he had had a number one rap album, but a number one like rap chart album back then wasn't the same as a number one rap album today. Uh, You know, the genre was not as not nearly as mainstream as it is today. Not a lot of people listen to rap music. I mean, it really it pretty much just was black people who lived in cities listened to rap music. And that was pretty much it. It had not found its way out to uh, out to like the suburbs that, you know, it would find itself in in the mid 90s. And then, of course, it would take off from there and become even more popular. Uh, But he had a number one rap album. So he was well known in that community, but not really mainstream. He was still a year away from his biggest hit single, Now That We Found Love, which I'm sure you know. But that was coming a year after he did the theme song for In Living Color. I always thought that his booming voice and his big presence, and he was a big boy, both of those things were a perfect fit for In Living Color to open with. This show was big. It was boisterous. It was not subtle. And I feel like Heavy D was really the perfect guy to do the theme song. And now it's your And if you listen to the lyrics, the lyrics describe this like dream world that many of us wish existed. 
I mean, he says, prejudice is obsolete. You can walk on the moon. You can float like a balloon. You can do whatever you want, pretty much, and not have anybody give you any static. In Living Color ran for five seasons total, and it was one of the best sketch comedy shows ever created. It's still considered that, and I would easily uh, put it up there as one of the best sketch comedy shows ever created. Its cast included some really of the best minds in comedy history. Jim Carrey was on the show for all five seasons. The Wayans family, uh, the whole Wayans family was on the show. Keenan Ivory, Sean Wayans, Marlon Wayans, Damon Wayans. My favorite was Kim Wayans. Uh, they were all on the show. Jamie Foxx, a freaking Oscar winner. He was on the show, a uh, main cast member for a couple of years. Tommy Davidson was on all the seasons. He was hilarious. David Allen Greer was on all the seasons. Again, hilarious guy. And Mark Wilmore, uh, also who's the uh, younger brother of, or maybe he's the older brother. I can't remember. He's the brother of Larry Wilmore, who you know hosted the uh, nightly show and was a Daily Show correspondent. Uh, until the nightly show got canceled. But Mark Wilmore was so funny. I, I, I mean, I think he's funnier than Larry. And uh, he did a sketch where he played like a black version of Archie Bunker in uh, a sketch that was called All Up in the Family. And uh, his impression of Archie Bunker is like the best. It's the best Bunker impression I've ever heard anybody do. The big bummer is it's kind of hard to find in Living Color now. They do show reruns of it on FXX uh, fairly often. Uh, I mean, you can find full episodes of it on YouTube that people have, you know, like illegally copied onto there. You can find the show on DVD as well. I have a couple seasons of it on DVD, but it's not really streaming anywhere that I've been able to find. So uh, that's kind of a bummer if you really want to get in, sit down and watch the show. But um, it, it's just, it's a great show. So funny. It's one of my favorites from my childhood. I used to watch it with my dad. Um, and I used to just crack up. I didn't get half the jokes, but I, I, I thought it was hilarious. And I thought, uh, you know, Fire Marshal Bill with Jim Carrey was so funny. I thought Homie the Clown was hilarious. I mean, and this was like racially driven humor. And it was very smart, but it wasn't like trying to be an intellectual show. It was just uh, kind of picking on everybody and, and making fun of everybody. And it was just a great show in that. It was a very welcoming show. Um, and in 2011, they were actually supposed to do a reboot of In Living Color on Fox, but it ended up being scrapped in 2013 after Keenan Ivory Wayans said, quote, the level of talent required just doesn't exist today, end quote. Throwing a little shade at the young comics. There you go, the theme song from In Living Color. And by the way, Heavy D, who did sing it, who did rap it, I should say, uh, died in 2011 at the age of 44. So rest in peace, Heavy D. Thank you for giving us uh, really one of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. And that's my pick for it this week. <laughs> Loved In Living Color, a hallmark of the uh, the fledgling Fox network. In its early days, I mean, you're talking about some of my favorite shows ever. The Simpsons, Married with Children, um, In Living Color. I mean, just really some of my favorite shows to ever be put on television were those early Fox TV shows. Um, and, you know, plenty more after that. And Heavy D actually also did the theme song to Mad TV, which was on Fox, of course, uh, years later. But, yeah, so there you go. Heavy D did another theme song uh, later on. Speaking of sketch comedy, real quick, I did want to mention that uh, since the last time we spoke, Saturday Night Live um, 
came on and had Dave Chappelle as its host. And it was the first time Chappelle has ever hosted Saturday Night Live. Um, I mean, which is really hard to believe. It's, it's hard to believe that he never hosted it when he was kind of at the height of his celebrity, at the height of his comedic powers um, in the, you know, about 2002, 2003 Range. I mean, this is a guy that's uh, you know a comic veteran. He's been around forever. One of the great stand-ups, um, really of any generation. Uh, so just such a natural stand-up, and and he did a he did a fine job on SNL. I thought they wrote good sketches for him, and it was just fantastic, really, to see him on TV. I mean, seriously, it's a cliche, but I think he could have gone on and just read the phone book, and it still would have been one of the best episodes of SNL uh, that I've ever seen, just because I was so excited to see Dave Chappelle again smoking a cigarette on stage. I mean, I'm sure they told him not to do it, but um, I mean, just something still feels dangerous about Dave Chappelle. Even all these years later, he definitely looks older. He sounds older. Um, He looks a little slower than he did back on Chappelle's show. Uh, and back like when he did Killing Them Softly on stage years ago. You know, uh, as I know it's been a long time. It's been a long time, so, so please be patient. But he still feels dangerous, and you know that genius is still there, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Dave Chappelle is going to do next. I, it, I guess uh, Netflix signed a deal with him to do, th- I think it was three stand-up specials. They're going to be coming in the next few years, so... That'll be uh, something really good to look forward to, and hopefully it'll mean that uh, maybe Netflix will get Chappelle's show uh, on board as well because they tend to do that. You know, Whenever they sign somebody up for one of those deals, they kind of try to get back into their back catalog. But we'll see if Chappelle's show comes to Netflix. If you've never seen Chappelle's show, again, uh, I'd put it uh, probably a little above in living color, but at the same time, it didn't run for as long. Uh, so it didn't have the longevity of In Living Color, and it didn't have like the wide breadth of range that that show did. But st- still, just two great shows, two shows that I'll go back and watch anytime, watch episodes of anytime. Um, and also on that episode of SNL with Chappelle, A Tribe Called Quest performing, and uh, right before releasing their new album, which I picked up the other day, uh, and just fun to see them on stage, fun to see Q-Tip on stage, paying tribute to Five Dog. I talked about my love for them uh, episodes ago when Five Dog died, so... Rest in peace to him as well, and just I'm glad to see Dave Chappelle back on television again. We uh, we we definitely need him. We missed him, and the guy's just such a natural. His monologue on the uh, on this episode of SNL was so smooth, so natural, so funny, and it was basically just him doing stand up for about ten minutes, and it worked like a charm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to those Netflix uh, the, those Netflix specials definitely. Worst the worst mass shootings in the history of the United States. Pulse nightclub, which they said ISIS did, and then it turned out that wasn't exactly what happened. And if that is what happened, then ISIS is scarier than I thought, because they have very deep cover operatives. <laughs> Look, guys, I'm going down deep for this one. I might have to uh, get a grinder account and uh, <laughs> jerk a few guys off and throw them off the trail. I don't think the guy was in ISIS. What happened was he pledged allegiance to ISIS before he did what he did, which is not the same as being in ISIS. You know what I mean? Like, I was going to have sex with a girl, and right before I did it, I screamed out, Wu-Tang. That don't mean I'm in the Wu-Tang clan. I'm just shouting Wu-Tang out. I feel like SNL's been maybe a little bit more relevant this year than it has been uh, for, uh, for many years going back. I don't know why. I mean, I just feel like more people are kind of talking about it, more people are watching the episodes. It, it probably has a lot to do with the election um, you know, wrapping up, and it was such a ridiculous, uh, you know, election season. Anyways, that it gave them so much material, uh, but I don't think it's all just because of that. I, I think uh, they've just kind of the Tom Hanks episode got a ton of love, ton of buzz. 
Um, and then obviously the Chappelle episode as well had people talking. So uh, good to see SNL kind of, uh, you know, being relevant again and being talked about again uh, by people. So I mentioned that most shows now are on their mid-season break, so there'll be you know four or five weeks where you won't get to see any new episodes of the shows that you're loving to watch. Um, and I enjoy mid-season breaks because they usually do build to some kind of a, a little cliffhanger climax. So you know that's good. And one of those shows that's so great at doing that and has been every year since it came on is ABC's How to Get Away with Murder, which I rave about on this show all the time. Uh, but I just I had to mention it this time because they did a reveal. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, so if you don't watch the show, you need to watch How to Get Away with Murder. I've tried to recommend it a hundred times. first two seasons are on Netflix. Third season's airing right now. Um, and I never get tired of this show. I always look forward to it. And they just did a reveal in their mid-season finale that was so shocking, so good, and so well done um, that I, I just I have to mention it. I have to pay a little bit more respect. So uh, How to Get Away with Murder did this. They were building up to this they're really that show is really well marketed. If you've ever watched it, or if you ever watch any ABC shows and you see commercials for How to Get Away with Murder, you probably notice they'll do these like little hashtags of you know what's going to happen. Like this year, it was who's under the sheet, and it was hashtag under the sheet. Um, and they were you know like asking people to guess, and they were building it up for weeks. And it was like six weeks till you find out who's under the sheet. Five weeks till you find out who's under the sheet. And it sounds like that would probably be irritating, but really not at all, especially when they did it and they did it so well. Now, if the reveal had been limp and it had been you know just not surprising at all, then yes, I would be on here ragging on them for sure. But the the reveal was so well done. So killing off main characters is something that's really not a new move in television. It's been That's a move that's been around uh, for years, for decades. Uh, but How to Get Away with Murder legitimately shocked me with the reveal of who was hashtag under the sheet in its mid-season finale. Now, I know that uh, AMC's Walking Dead killed a couple of its central characters in its opening episode uh, of this season, but I was told by people who watched that show that those characters weren't really essential and it wouldn't really keep anyone from coming back to the series. So it wasn't like they killed anyone that was really going to be missed. I mean, it was kind of like someone like, oh, yeah, I liked him. He was cool. He was funny, but not really somebody that you're going to miss. They're not leaving a crater in the middle of the show. Well, I feel like with How to Get Away with Murder, the character that they killed will leave a massive crater in the middle of the show. I'm not saying it was my favorite character on the show, but will seriously leave a storyline crater. I mean, this was a character that had been, um, you know, ha- had been delved into and had been filled out, rounded out over the years, really more than many of the other characters on the show. And then, you know, now all of a sudden that character is uh, no more. And the way their death was revealed was so brutal and so graphic that it really shocked me to see it on network TV. So again, how to get away with murder continues to floor me. The the cast just continues to keep me watching. I've talked before about the ensemble. I love the ensemble. I swear to God, it's the sexiest group of people that I've seen in a TV show in forever. And all of them get the chance to chew up the scenery sometimes, especially Viola Davis, who plays the main character, Annalise Keating. She chews up the scenery more than anybody, but uh, I love it every time she does. Every time she overacts, I'm I'm totally into it. Um, and, and, you know, I still don't feel like How to Get Away with Murder is a guilty pleasure show. My wife thinks it's garbage. She thinks it's like a soap opera. I've been made fun of by people for watching this show. But I don't feel like this is a guilty pleasure show at all. I feel like it's legitimately good TV. I mean, does it teach me lessons at the end of each episode? No, it doesn't do that. 
Does it dive deep into its entire cast and try to make all of them 3D characters? No, it doesn't do that either. But this show is entertaining, and it's surprising as hell. And, and really, what more do you want from a show than that? It's very entertaining. It keeps me engaged. It surprises me, keeps me on my toes, keeps me guessing. And the cast just does a hell of a job acting. And like I said, they are sexy people uh, filling out this cast. So... How to get away with murder? I'm going to keep raving on it um, until it jumps the shark, and hasn't done that yet. Under the sheet was just another instance of why this show kicks ass, why I love this show, and while I'll continue, uh, while I'll continue to watch it Thursday nights on ABC. How to get away with murder? Check out the first two seasons now on Netflix. They're short seasons too, shorter than most network shows, um, because Shonda Rhimes wrote that in there that this show was not going to go as long, uh, really, because of Viola Davis and the writers because they wanted the episodes to have more impact each week. Um, so they're, they're pretty short seasons. Rip through those and catch up with the third season, and I swear to God you will not regret it at all. So there you go. How to Get Away with Murder, Thursdays on ABC. The show that brought us the immortal words, Sam, why is your penis on a dead girl's phone? Legendary stuff. All right, finally, before I take a break and toss things over to Andy, I want to mention another network show. Uh, that I haven't got to talk about yet on the stream police, but I have been pleasantly surprised with every week. And again, I look forward to watching this one every time it's on Thursdays on NBC. It's This Is Us. And this has really been like the breakout, big, successful show, new show of the 2016 fall season. Um, the ratings have been high. The reviews have been good. And uh, everybody's kind of loving this show. So this is us right now on NBC. The creator of this show is Dan Fogelman, who truly is one of the busiest writers in in show business. I mean, Dan Fogelman, before he wrote This Is Us, he wrote Cars, Cars 2. He wrote Bolt. Um, he wrote Tangled. He wrote Crazy Stupid Love. Um, he wrote Last Vegas, The Guilt Trip, um, Fred Claus. I mean, a ton of a ton of movies, like a movie every year, basically, since 2006. He's written one, most of those for Disney. But not only that, he's written and created like five TV shows in the last few years, including Gallivant. They've pretty much all been canceled, but still. Uh, grandfathered, he, exe he was executive producer of that and a writer on that show. He created uh, Pitch on Fox, which is on this year. He created This Is Us. So he's got two shows on TV right now that he created for two different networks. I mean, this guy just works nonstop, and I'm really impressed uh, with what Dan Fogelman has done with This Is Us. I've, I've talked about Pitch as well. Pitch has not kept my interest the way that This Is Us has. But uh, he's just done, uh, I mean, he's doing great work with this show in terms of the writing. I'm just very impressed with the writing. Randall, you have to understand. Understand what? That you knew my father? That you kept him from me my entire life? Everything that I just stop! Please stop. I can't, I can't even look at you. And all the times I asked you about my family, and if I had found them on my own, I'd... The stars of This Is Us, it's a big cast. Uh, it's one of those family drama comedies. Um, stars of the show are Mandy Moore and Milo Ventimiglia, who play the parents of these three, uh, these three siblings who were all born on the same day, two twins, one was a, and one was adopted, but it was also born on the same day. Um, 
and Mandy Moore and Milo Ventimiglia, their storyline kind of takes place in the 70s, whereas the other storyline of the three kids takes place in modern day, and we kind of see the parallels between their lives and how what their parents did when they were kids has shaped you know the things that they do as adults and as parents themselves. The kids are played by Sterling K. Brown, uh, who was just fantastic in The People vs. O.J. Simpson on FX. He played uh, Chris Darden, and I, I think he won an Emmy for that. If not, uh, I'm pretty sure he won an Emmy for that, and he did a great job on that show. He was he was fantastic all the way through, just so stoic um, and just an impressive guy to watch. Also, uh, Chrissy Metz plays the uh, sister in the family, and Justin Hartley plays the like good-looking, um, semi-airheaded actor brother. He's not really an airhead, but he kind of has that uh, he he kind of has that rap a couple times throughout the show. But this is us. Uh, I think I mentioned it when I was doing my fall TV preview that I wasn't sure about the show because I just thought it was going to be like Parenthood was on NBC. It just kind of looked like the same kind of thing. Um, and I just wasn't really interested in another show like that, another weepy, overly sentimental family show like that. But this show, I thought I knew everything about it going in. But I love when I'm pleasantly surprised, and this one has really pleasantly surprised me. Every week I keep waiting for the show to slip up and turn cheesy, but it just keeps impressing me. It, it, it's such a thoughtful show, and it just feels like it's been planned out for years. That, that's the thing that impresses me so much about This Is Us. This show feels like it's been sitting in Dan Fogelman's head for like 10 years, and he's been building these characters, and he's been thinking of the ways that he's going to shape this family, and he's going to tell these stories. Each episode surprises me in a different way. It kind of warms your heart in a different way and makes you think about the things that you saw when you were a kid, the things you did when you were a kid, and how they may subconsciously affect you to this day. Um, And it's just a really well-done show. It's just fun to watch, and it's well-written television. That's what I appreciate. It's just well-crafted television. So I really, um, I really admire this as us. They're eight, eight episodes into the season so far, um, and I'm sticking with it, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this show, and I've, I've really been enjoying uh, following it around. And you know, who knows how how long its legs will be? I do feel like maybe the legs might not be so long on this show, just because each episode is is kind of this long exercise in you know, family tradition, family history, and, you know, how are you going to do a Thanksgiving episode? How are you going to do two Thanksgiving episodes? How are you going to do two Halloween episodes? Because you've already kind of touched on it. Once you do a Christmas episode, how can you do another one that's any good? I mean, it's just everything's going to kind of feel like a sequel, I feel like. But uh, the thing that I really like about This Is Us is it shows that feel-good television does not have to suck or be predictable at all. The characters aren't necessarily people that I'd want to spend time with. I mean, I really don't want to hang out with these people, except for maybe Toby, uh, who's the daughter's boyfriend. He's probably my favorite guy on the entire show. But I don't really necessarily want to hang out with Kevin and Kate and Randall. I don't really, they're not really my kind of people. They all get up on their high horses at times. They all get on my nerves at times. But they really feel real. And they're well-constructed and well-acted. And like I said, they feel like people I could meet. They don't feel like people that, uh, you know, stepped off of or, or just exist on a, on a TV screen and that's it. Uh, they, they feel like real people, and I think it's a credit to the actors playing them. It's a definitely a credit to Dan Fogelman, his writing staff, uh, and the way that they have crafted this show. Because, uh, it, again, it continues to impress me. I keep thinking that it's going to suck at some point, but This Is Us has just impressed me from – from uh, you know the word goes. So that is on NBC right now on Tuesday nights. 
Highly recommended. I've really been enjoying it. All uh, eight of the episodes that uh, have aired so far are on Hulu if you want to check those out. And that's a fun, that'll be a fun one to watch and catch up with during the uh, winter break season. Just, um, just you know, kind of sit back and enjoy it. I don't, I don't know how much of a binge-worthy show it is, but it's a fun one to sit with with people you love and watch and, uh, and, and just get into it. And it's not really going to make you cry. I mean, there are times, I think, where it tugs at the heartstrings, but it's not overly, like, cheesy sentimental or you know trying to break you down every episode and it's not it's not uh, cheap with the way it tells its stories or gets the emotions out of you either so i enjoy this as us once again i think it's just very well written tv that feels like it's very well planned and i i really appreciate that you have two beautiful healthy children jack boy and a girl but we did lose the third child I need to be with my wife. And you will be. But she needs to sleep now. But soon. You just sit down. Sit. Sit. I have spent five decades delivering babies. More babies than I can count. But there is not a single day that goes by that I don't think of the child I lost. And I'm an old man now. I like to think that because of the child that I lost, because of the path that that he sent me on, that I have saved countless other babies. Yeah. I like to think that maybe one day you'll be an old man like me, talking a younger man's ear off, explaining to him how you took the sourest lemon that life has to offer and turned it into something resembling lemonade. You can do that, then you will still be taking three babies home from this hospital. Maybe not the way you planned. All right, I'm going to take a break, uh, toss things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. We'll see what he's got coming through the beats this week. I don't know if he has beats, but... I'm going to say maybe you pick some up on Black Friday. Uh, And then I'm going to come back and talk about uh, some movies in theaters right now that I like and also why I like the Gilmore Girls so much. Why do I like Gilmore Girls? I don't know. I'm going to tell you that coming up in just a bit here on The Stream Police. Uh, Take it away, Andy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ladies and gentlemen, the Trump train is headed to the White House. Whether you 
want to call it topical music or protest music. Expect a hell of a lot more of it over the next four years. And you don't even have to wait because it's already started. Check it out. This was Green Day at the AMAs. And, of course, the cast of Hamilton singling out uh, Mike Pence earlier this month. We, sir, we are the diverse America who are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us. That, my friends, was somewhat controversial. Appropriate. Inappropriate. Even within the rock community, this debate went on. Stevie Van Zandt claimed that the theater should be a sanctuary for the art itself. Basically, shut up and let your art, and only your art, do the talking. His bandmate Nils Lofgren disagreed, saying that any time you have the opportunity to speak truth to power, you've got to take it. I tend to agree with Lofgren. I mean, uh, this is... The people's government, is it not? My name is Andy Sedlak, by the way. I am the uh, music editor at OverdueReview.com. And if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you're at least mildly interested in my take. So here it is. The theater has always, underline that, always been a place for politics. Plays with political themes have been lauded within the arts community for decades. As Is was about AIDS, Death of a Salesman was about uh, sort of the pitfalls within the American dream, the 5th of July was about Vietnam, Your Welcome America was about the Bush administration, Shakespeare was political, the theater is political. And this was about the most eloquent uh, protest I've heard in my life. Listen again. But we truly hope that this show has inspired you to uphold our American values and to work on behalf of all of us. All of us. Respectful, courteous, yet direct. It ain't going away, folks. The Bush years were a time of war. Things were uh, not exactly cut and dry then. Quick recap. Who released protest music during that era? If I remember correctly... Let's see, it was Bruce Springsteen, Neil Young, Jackson Brown, Eminem, Disturbed, Patti Smith, R.E.M., Tom Waits, Bright Eyes, Lenny Kravitz, The Rolling Stones, Decemberist, Pearl Jam, Green Day, Beastie Boys, Arcade Fire, Rise Against, Kanye West, The Dixie Chicks, U2, and Against Me, to name a few. (laughs) Some artists protested the protests, thinking of Toby Keith or Daryl Worley. The things weren't cut and dry then, and they're certainly not cut and dry now. Aside from uh, communicating the ideas of of emotional longing or triumph or uh, uh, heartbreak, music has also long been used as a language to invoke social justice. Songwriters write with their eyes open. There is an observational quality to art. And my hunch is that there will be a lot to observe over the next four years. There's just a a feeling that, that innocence is fleeting. 
Even Selena Gomez is struggling. Here she is at the AMAs. I had to stop because I, I had everything and I was absolutely broken inside. She has lupus and has been struggling with anxiety and depression. She has 45 million followers on Twitter. Now, isn't that what, what we're all after? Well, even she sounds jaded. I don't want to see your bodies on Instagram. I want to see what's in here. I'm not trying to get validation, nor do I need it anymore. Everything's a bummer right now. Miranda Lambert released a new album with a bummer of a title called The Weight of These Wings. The Weight of These Wings. A tribe called Quest has the number one album in the world right now. They are writing about what they see, and as slick as it sounds, what they see ain't pretty. So that you can waste the time guilty pleasure, take the edge off reality, and pull a salary, I'll probably do that just sporadically. The OG Gucci boots are smitten with iguanas, the IRS piranhas see a nigga getting common. Niggas in the hood living in a fishbowl, gentrify here, now it's not a shithole. Everybody, everybody is bummed out. Except Bruno Mars. Everywhere I go, they be like, so bad. Everywhere I go, they be like, so bad. He's swag all the way. Who's he ripping off now? 90s R&B, I guess. A lot of people are really quick to say, that song sounds like this. Or he trying to sound like this. And I'm always like, you're damn right I am. That's how, that's why we're all here. You know, we all grew up idolizing another musician. That's how this works. Yeah, okay. I'm sure it's selling, but songs like these somehow feel disconnected from the current moment. And it, it's, it's, it's yet another attempt to capitalize on millennials' love of nostalgia. I swear, I have never seen more people so eager to look back. Why are we, why are we all so obsessed with our childhoods? It's like we think we're the only generation to go to a school dance or to have good times. People forget how weird things were back then. Weird things in life and and certainly weird things in music. One of the weirdest things I can remember was uh, Nelly Furtado, her her comeback of sorts. That now has been, uh, that now is 10 years old. It's been 10 years since she went from this to this this to this I'm Like a Bird was released in 2000. Then, crickets. She came back, uh, let's see, six years later with a uh, a, a sexed-up album called uh, <coughs> Loose. Bring on the pop, bring on Timbaland as producer. Legend has it that in order to get into that uh, uh, main, mainstream spirit, she went to a, a hip-hop workshop. She visited with Pharrell, who got her... <laughs> listening to reggae. At the time, the rap was that early in her career, she tried to submit herself as a serious artist and a serious songwriter. 
Now, she, she evidently at that point, later in 2006, felt free to experiment. Evidently, experiment meant pop. Usually, it's the other way around. The Village Voice said that Furtado and uh, Timberland didn't have any chemistry. What the publication really tried to say when I went back to read their article and their review was that Nelly had sold out. Can't market the jewel types anymore, so they brought in the guys who worked with the Pussycat Dolls and with Christina. If there was any experimenting going on, it was the experiment of trying to recreate Nelly Furtado into Gwen Stefani. It worked for a minute. That album, Loose, debuted at number one. Hundreds of thousands of records sold. But then she released a Spanish album. And then a remixes album. Then a best of album. And really pretty rapid succession. That trifecta is what you call a dead career. So why are we talking about Nelly Furtado now? Aside from the fact that it's been 10 years since Loose and Promiscuous was released... Well, it's rumored that she'll be coming out with a brand new record next year. Get ready. She's going to try again. Here's my question, okay? Since we all love to look back so much, will we perhaps remember her more fondly than we did the first time around? She tried to court the critics. She tried uh, sex appeal. But in 2017, it's going to be all about nostalgia. And if she has success, how many other acts will be brought back from the dead? Lita Ford, Danity Kane. <laughs> it's already started. Missy Elliott playing the Super Bowl. I tell you what, when, when, when I was on Facebook, I saw more reaction to Missy Elliott. She was popular, but I never, I, I, I guess I never realized that she was. Loved. Loved. Of course, the new kids on the block have been touring. Nelly Furtado is about to turn uh, 38. It's not too late. She may have a big year next year. Now, friends, as you know, we are uh, building the most perfect playlist known to man. Each week, I give you five new songs. This week, your first song is... Four o'clock in the morning by the Pogues. Four o'clock in the morning when the ambulance arrives. Four o'clock in the morning when the ambulance arrives. Blue light was flashing. Their original lead singer was gone, but this uh, late career cut is just, gosh, cinematic and gritty. It's got that marching beat that feels as if uh, something uh, auspicious is about to occur. Second, Blue River by Eric Anderson. Listen to me. Oh uh-huh. 
A country rock uh, classic and a staple of the alternative Nashville sound from the early 1970s. Third, a new wave and post-punk classic. It's called Prove It by the group Television. Fourth, no more interviews by Big Sean. Switching genres here. Every second I'm collecting, don't ask me no stupid questions. Are you still signing yay questions? No Rock Nation questions or who I'm dating questions? Look, no more interviews unless you want to talk about the music or something that has a different view and not the shit that's getting the hits and views. Words misconstrued with no credit, but you niggas approved. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really a showdown with the pop world. Honest rhymes on top of like a, a meager yet kind of a fitting beat. It's as impressive, honestly, as anything released in hip-hop this year. Uh, and finally, from Biggie, it's What's Beef. Beef is when you need two guests to go to sleep. Beef is when your mom's ain't safe up in the streets. Beef is when I see you. Guaranteed to be in ICU. One more time, what's beef? Beef is when you make your enemies start your cheek. Beef is when you roll no less than 30 deep. Beef is when I see you. Guaranteed to be in ICU. That's one of many reasons that so many people consider him the greatest. That's it for me. I'm going to throw it back to Clint. Behave yourselves. See ya. Thanks a lot, Andy. And I tell you what, man, I've still got the In Living Color theme song uh, stuck in my head. So I've been like just kind of sitting here humming that to myself and smoking my stogie here in my closet in Cincinnati. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to be doing, but you know what? No weirder than talking to you guys who I don't even know if you're there, but I hope you are. Thanks again, Mr. Sedlak. Again, I am Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Check out the website anytime you want. If you uh, there's a, a movie that you're thinking about watching or you just watched, type it into our search box and see if uh, I've reviewed it before because I've reviewed hundreds of movies there, and chances are maybe I've uh, checked that one out. And you can kind of see my thoughts. Maybe we agree with each other. Maybe we disagree. I don't know. I'm always open to getting your emails as well. You can write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. All right. Let me talk about a show that scared the living shit out of me uh, when I watched it on TV just uh, a couple weeks ago. David Blaine Beyond Magic, a magic special from David Blaine that aired on ABC um, just, uh, you know, one night here in November. And Beth and I argued on this show a couple episodes ago about the horror movies that we liked the most, the ones that scared us the most. We disagreed vehemently on that topic, but both of us agreed that David Blaine Beyond Magic scared the ever-loving shit out of us. And I don't really know why. 
both of us watched this show late at night. We watched it in the dark, and then we had nightmares for some reason. And I think it's because of this show. We never, like, the two of us, we may have nightmares sometimes, but both of us don't really ever have nightmares. Um, but we both had them that night, and I swear to God it's because we watched this show. There was just something... Like I said, I don't know what's so scary about it, but the whole thing was just creepy. The way it was done, the way it was made, the stuff that this guy's doing. I mean, it's superhuman. It's weird. It, it's it's supernatural, and it's it's just not it's just not something that people should be doing. Not things people should be doing to their body. I mean, I'm not talking about he's not doing card tricks and stuff like that. I mean, this guy is swallowing frogs and then you know spitting them up on command into people's wine glasses and. Um, I mean, he's making things disappear in some very strange way that feels like they have to be doing camera, you know, uh, uh, tricks. He, he's swallowing things. He should not be swallowing. He's eating glass. He's he's catching bullets in his teeth. I mean, it's just scary stuff. And the whole time I'm watching the show, I'm like, I'm watching a guy kill himself. That was what I kept thinking the entire time. Uh, and the animation in the show and the music, the narration, all of it, the way they did it was just well done and very scary. So. Uh, this is on Hulu right now if you want to watch it. That was where I, I caught it. Um, and it's probably on ABC On Demand as well, I would have to imagine. Uh, that it takes place, you know, like on he's doing street magic. A little bit of it's on stage. I mean, just uh, basically wherever David Blaine wants to do his tricks, he does his tricks. And there are some really interesting tricks, and the show's divided into sections of different tricks that he's trying to do. And we kind of get behind-the-scenes looks at how he goes about doing some of these, how he prepares his body, how much dedication goes into it. Uh, and that's just really, again, what freaks me out, man. This guy's focus and his dedication and his intensity is is fascinating. And I think it's what makes David Blaine such a, a good character and uh, you know a guy that I'll continue to watch. And I think that audiences continue to go back to and continue to watch because he's just strange. There's really no one like David Blaine. He's a weird guy, a weird cat, uh, but he gets it done. I don't like really the stuff in this show. It's some of the tricks, he's like in celebrities' homes. Just like he's at Emma Stone's house, he's like at Margot Robbie's house, Patrick Stewart Stewart's house. He's doing tricks. I don't. I didn't really care for that. That was just kind of weird to me. Felt a little reality TV ish, and I didn't think we really needed the celebrities because I mean, mostly I just think celebrities are just weird people, and like kind of seeing them off screen ruins it a little bit for me as far as seeing them acting and stuff because I just I think they're just weird you know in general and David Blaine's weird and so it's like all these weird people just hang out together it kind of made me feel strange so I didn't like the celebrity stuff but the street stuff is great and seeing like normal people just react to him taking their phone out of their hand throwing it into the water and then uh, mysteriously pointing to it in their friend's purse who's standing three feet away and it was there the whole time uh, is just great because you see their faces and these people are like legitimately people are running away when he does the reveal on some of these tricks because i think they're scared man they're freaking out and like i said beth and i are scared I've talked before about how I think magic on television is great, and I, I wish there were more magic on television. I reviewed uh, Penn & Teller's show Fool Us uh, before, which is a really good magic show. That's, uh, I think it's still on CW. I don't know if it got canceled, but it was on CW anyways. And uh, I, I just I like seeing magic on TV, and, I, and you know, the more we can have of it, the better. It's just it's cool stuff, and it works well on TV, and David Blaine – uh, is really kind of the master of this kind of weird supernatural magic. I know Chris Angel has done a lot of this as well, but Blaine really is the guy that 
that scares me when he does this stuff. I mean, he's like tapped into something dark here. And uh, the, the show scared us. It gave us nightmares. So scariest thing I've watched since Halloween, David Blaine Beyond Magic, which right now is streaming on Hulu uh, and also on demand. You can find it as well. You know what doesn't scare me, though, and what shouldn't scare you? A trip to Stars Hollow and the return of Gilmore Girls with Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life now streaming on Netflix. Why do I love this show? Why do I like Gilmore Girls? Why a a near 30-year-old grown man who I feel like I have worked my entire life to cultivate great taste in television, um, to, you know, kind of cultivate my own taste uh, in television, refine it over the years. Why do I like a show that was on WBCW, a little small town show about a, you know, mother, daughter, grandmother, um, you know, just kind of living their day-to-day lives? Why do I like this show? I'm going to tell you why I like Gilmore Girls. It's pretty much for the same reason that I said before that I like This Is Us. I thought This Is Us was going to suck. And when my wife, Beth, she didn't make me sit down and watch Gilmore Girls, but she loves this show. She's watched it through like three times. And that's a lot of episodes, so it's pretty impressive. But she was watching it through, and I decided to sit and pretty much watch. I didn't watch every episode, but I watched most of the show with her. Um, and I started to like get mad when she would watch episodes without me because I wanted to see what was going on with Lorelai and Rory Gilmore on this show. I don't know why. First off, I think the chief reason why I love Gilmore Girls is because I love Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham is one of those people that whatever she's in, I don't give a shit what it is. I will watch it. I will enjoy it. And she is just like, she's perfect to me as as an actor. She is just, she can do no wrong. I enjoy her a lot. In Parenthood, as I've talked about before, that wasn't really a great show through and through. But Lauren Graham was great in the show. In Bad Santa, she's great in Bad Santa. She's just, Lauren Graham is awesome. So she's one of the main reasons I like Gilmore Girls. I also like Gilmore Girls because Amy Sherman Palladino, the woman that created the show, is really a hell of a dialogue writer. She's a pure dialogue writer. I heard that the scripts for Gilmore Girls episodes back in the day were like the length of a script for an episode of Aaron Sorkin's West Wing, which are notorious for being like the longest scripts in history. They're like the length of lengths of phone books. I'm talking about one single episode of the show. She just fills it. It's like nonstop talking every episode. And it's an hour long show. And every episode is like wall to wall talking nonstop. I mean, there's really not a lot of scene setting. There's not a lot of action going on. It is all pure dialogue from the word go from the time the theme song ends at the beginning of each episode. I also like Gilmore Girls because it's got like the ultimate small town fantasy. It's set in this small town in New England and you know, the leaves in fall look perfect. The little storefronts are cute. None of the stores ever go out of business. It's full of tons of characters in the town. The town has plenty of character as well. Um, it, nobody seems to like be poor, homeless, out of work. Everybody's doing fine. There are some rich people, but mostly everybody's just doing good. And um, everybody just seems to kind of enjoy being there. Nobody's really trying to run out of town. And it's like the ultimate, like I said, small town fantasy. As somebody who lived I grew up in a small town, lived in a small town my whole, uh, you know, life until I was 18 years old. And I think a lot of you guys listening probably have as well. You know, that's not how it is. I mean, it doesn't matter how charming the town is you lived in. If you're in a small town, 
the name of the game is people are trying to get out of that town, except for maybe the old people. But most people want to get out of that town, especially if they grew up there. They want to leave. They want to go somewhere else. And preferably, they want to go somewhere huge, somewhere with skyscrapers, just something that looks totally alien to them because they've been stuck around these little storefronts, these cute little businesses and the same people every day of their lives. But in Gilmore Girls, it's like everyone enjoys Stars Hollow. Everyone's got their their function. Everyone's got their place. Everyone fits in. Everyone's got their friends. Even the people who are like jerks, uh, like the mayor, the the people who are just total weirdos, um, they're still you know pretty likable people. I mean, they're not total assholes. They're not like people you wish would you know their car would wreck into a pole or something. I mean, they're they're just they're fine. And like I said, it's just it's a fantasy of a small town. Is it realistic? No, but. That's not always why we go to television. Another reason I love Gilmore Girls, like I said, fantastic dialogue that's virtually nonstop and that's loaded with arcane pop culture references. I'm talking references that nobody should ever be dropping and that nobody should ever understand. This town. This is our town. This town is so glamorous. But... When Lorelai drops an arcane pop culture reference to some song from 1955, her teenage daughter Rory gets it because that's how tight these two are. That's how linked they are mentally. They're more like sisters than mother and daughter, and it's so fun to watch. Did Paul Thomas Anderson write this? Edit, people. I told you, arcane. Arcane with a capital A. And you like feel good when you get one of them. When you understand one of their references, you feel good and you're like you're in on it with them and you're like, oh yeah, I could talk to Lorelai, I could talk to Rory, and they would get me, man. I could I could be there in Stars Hollow talking to them. And when you don't get one, you kind of feel stupid, but at the same time it's like there's no reason to. Nobody should get these references. They're for complete nerds. All right, but no taking me to an art museum after hours and then to an empty Hollywood bowl where you're giving me a pair of diamond earrings that you bought with your college money when all the time you're really in love with your best friend, the drummer, who's posing as our driver for the evening. And as I said, its main characters, a mother and daughter a combination, Lauren Graham and Alexis Bledel, they have one of the best mother-daughter relationships that I've ever seen in fiction. But honestly, they're so close that it really makes me feel sorry and feel kind of bad for any man uh, that Rory dates, or really any man that Lorelai is going to date as well. So uh, it, it's it's a great relationship between those two, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know, I almost feel like they're too close uh, sometimes, and it's kind of creepy, but uh, I just... I, there's a lot to love about Gilmore Girls. It's such a fun show. It's just such a great little small town fantasy. It's such a great fantasy of a relationship between a, a, a parent and and a child, uh, really. I mean, it's like the whole world kind of revolves around these two, and they're totally fine with that. They eat it up, and they love each other, and they're going to be, you know, there for each other no matter what happens. Nothing could ever drive these two apart. And that's why I'm glad Gilmore Girls is back. The new season uh, started streaming November 25th on Netflix, and I'm looking forward to watching it. I hope the quality stays up. Um, I, I think it will because Amy Sherman Palladino's back, and they got the, you know the main actors all back. And uh, it's just it's it's a fun universe. There's a reason people love this show. There's a reason Netflix brought it back. Um, I mean, they haven't really brought back a lot of shows. Arrested Development, you know, is another one that talk about a totally beloved show. They decided to bring it back. So if Netflix is going to bring a show back. It's got to be for good reason, and Gilmore Girls is one of those that I was I was excited to see them bring back because, surprisingly, I love this show. You may not expect that, but I, I think it's a really, really fun show, really cool show, and I'm glad that it's back on television. So welcome back, Gilmore Girls. Those are some of the reasons why I, a near 30-year-old man, love that TV show.
every season of Gilmore Girls, I believe there are nine of them, uh, is streaming now on Netflix as well. If you want to sit down and watch those, it's a little bit of a bear to tackle, but uh, just just have fun and go for the ride. These those characters are a lot of, a lot of fun to spend some time with, and it's a good show to watch kind of in the winter. Uh, again, with somebody that you care about. I, I don't know how much fun it would be to watch by yourself, but fun to watch it with somebody else and kind of make the references and, and, and just enjoy it. It's just a fun show. All right, and Lorelai and Rory love movies. I love characters that love movies, and I love people that love movies. So let me talk now about some things that are in theaters right now and a couple that I would recommend uh, for you to go and check out. It's finally good movie season again. Pretty much everything coming out from here on out is going to be worth a damn, worth your time. And I wonder what movies you're looking forward to. If you have some uh, that you cannot wait to see this year, Oscar contenders, guilty pleasures, blockbusters, whatever, hit me up, theclintdavis at gmail.com, or tweet us at uh, overdue underscore review. Tell us uh, which movies you're looking forward to this season. First off, let me say Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. I thought it was going to be a total disappointment, total letdown. How could it not be? I mean, it's Harry Potter, like for adults. This movie was a lot of fun. It kicked ass, and I really enjoyed every second of it. And again, Beth did as well. She's a total Potter nerd. Read all the books multiple times. Loves the films. I'm only like I've only watched the movies. I've never read the books. She keeps trying to get me to read them. I, I really enjoy the films. I don't really particularly want to read the books so much. I got other books I want to read. Don't want to read Harry Potter. I love the movies. I think the movies got it done. Um, but I really liked Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I just thought, again, it was fun, well-acted. The characters were cool. Um, and it expanded the universe in a satisfying way. It's set uh, back in the 1930s, so like 70 years before Harry Potter and his friends are at Hogwarts. Um, and it's set in America. So you get to finally see the wizarding world in America, and they have different terms for things. Like instead of muggles, they call people who don't have magic no magics. Um, there's just, there's different like terminologies for things and it's just kind of, it's fun. Again, it's just, it's fun stuff. And I'm glad that JK Rowling who wrote the screenplay for this, which again, I was wary about cause she doesn't have really screenplay writing experience. It's a very different thing from writing books. Um, I was worried that, you know, it wasn't going to be terribly well written, but she did a nice job with it. She did a nice job with the story. Uh, she's setting up future films, which is probably my biggest knock on the movie. I, I wish it would have been more focused on, uh, you know, just kind of this movie and the beasts and, and hunting them down and kind of the adventure, but I'm not really complaining. I, I enjoyed the film a lot, and it reminded me a lot of, like, Harry Potter meets Ghostbusters because in Ghostbusters, you know, the, the great scenes are when the the four guys are together you know, at the hotel or they're at the library and they're trying to capture ghosts and they have to use different methods to outsmart the ghosts. Each ghost has kind of like a different strategy and they have to use, you know, different ways to coax these ghosts uh, into the traps. Um, and that's kind of the way it was with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Each of the beasts has a different, you know, different ability, different things that they can do, supernatural things. And uh, the characters have to outsmart these beasts and get them you know, trapped and back into Newt uh, Scamander's case, who's the main character, uh, so he can protect them and keep them from basically destroying the world because they are definitely capable of that. So I enjoyed it. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's good escape cinema, and it's good stuff for uh, wintertime to go and check out. Good couple hours you could spend with, uh, you know, your teenagers or, uh, you know, your kids at the movies. I wouldn't recommend it for little kids, but I'd say, like, kids 10 years old and up, all the way through, uh, you know, being a hundred years old, you could definitely find something to enjoy 
about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And you really don't need to know anything about Harry Potter. All you need to know is that the Wizarding World exists alongside the real world and that people like us are walking around and we don't know uh, that the Wizarding World does exist. That's kind of the main thing here. Uh, and the wizards are and the witches are all trying to stay hidden uh, because they're afraid that their world is going to be exposed by humans um, and they're going to be persecuted, a la Salem witch trials and stuff like that. So uh, that's really all you need to know. You don't need to know much more than that. But I really enjoy it. I, I give Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them four stars out of five. You're the guy with the case full of monsters, huh? News travels fast. I was hoping you'd be able to tell me if there have been any sightings, tracks, that sort of thing. You got a pretty big price on your head, Mr. Scavenger. Why should I help you? Instead of turning you in. I take it I'll have to make it worth your while. Mm. Let's consider it a cover charge. Uh, another film that is in theaters right now is a movie called Christine. And no, it's not the Stephen King movie about the killer car. Uh, Christine is a movie that is a very intense watch. This is a film that could get some Oscar buzz for Rebecca Hall, the lead actor. Um, you may remember her from The Gift. She was in Vicky Christina Barcelona. Um, she's uh, a British actor, and she she is so intense in this movie. It's a true story. It's it's about a, a TV news reporter named Christine Chubbuck, who in the mid-1970s, uh, she was a reporter in uh, Sarasota, Florida, at a local TV station, and she had depression. She got basically beat down by the job, as many people in that business. I am speaking personally as well from being in that business. No, it does take a lot out of you. It does beat you down a lot. Um, and she eventually snapped, and she killed herself live on television during a, a TV news broadcast in the studio. She pulled out a gun and shot herself in the head right on television. It happened on TV. It's a true story in the mid-'70s. And... It's one of the most notorious and most shocking moments in broadcasting history. Arguably, it's the most shocking moment in broadcasting history, I would say. Um, and this movie has been made about Christine Chubbuck in the last kind of like month of her life and what led up to that infamous moment. And uh, th this movie really just paints her as kind of this tortured but very smart, very ambitious young woman who is, you know, really a good reporter. And this is a, I've talked before, you can go back and check out our past episode where I ripped on a ton of movies, basically any movie or TV show that has ever depicted a female reporter. I don't like how female reporters have been depicted in movies and TV because they're always sleeping with their sources. They're always doing unethical things. They're just, uh, they're just doing things that I've never seen good female reporters do. And it's stereotypical stuff that that's not realistic. Christine does not paint her in a bad way. It, it's a very realistic and very well-played uh, version of a female reporter. And Christine Chubbuck, you know, if her family hopefully has watched this movie and has enjoyed it, um, I think they would be proud in the way that her that their daughter, that their sister, uh, was represented in this movie. Now, everything's not 100% truthful. I did some research on Christine Chubbuck also after I watched the film. And just in my own research that I did in like a half hour, I found numerous things that were obviously not true at all in the way they were presented in the film. But a lot of it was true. And I think the writer-director... Um, you know, kind of painted the picture and expanded it from there. But the, the names are real. Um, it's it's 
really a, a lot of it is true to life and it's well done it's a good mo- movie about the news business about how it changed in the 70s about tv news and how that changed and what it evolved what it has evolved into today um and the acting from rebecca hall to michael c hall no relation um just a really good cast and i enjoyed christine it's an intense watch it's a hard film to watch definitely not the feel good movie of the summer that's for sure uh, but I, I do recommend it, and if you like acting and if you like films about journalism and about TV reporting, uh, check Christine out. I think uh, I think you'll get something out of it for sure. You know Florida's the place you want to be. We have sun, sand, surf, championship golf, great cuisine, culture, everything you can imagine, and everybody wants to come here right now. People are coming here from Sorry, all can over. Sorry, can we just stop for a second, Jane? Yeah. Stop. Uh, can, you, can, you, can you get Gail? I thought she was meant to get some fresh flowers. Oh, yeah, I told her to. It must have slipped her mind. It slipped her mind? Well, I can't yeah. think about anything else. Sorry, so we're, we're, you're going to have to... Uh, someone get some fresh flowers. <laughs> hey, um, I'm sorry, sir. We're just going to... A little bit. I'm sorry. You okay? Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, summer allergies. Oh. But are you, you know, okay? What do you mean? Well, you, you just seem a little more wound up than usual. What do you mean? A couple movies right now in theaters that uh, I'm recommending that you go and check out. And finally, a couple movies for you that are streaming now that you may not have seen. I always like to end the show this way. On Netflix right now, we've got 2003's Old Boy, which was the original Old Boy, not the one that Spike Lee, Spike Lee did a remake, an American remake. This is the original Korean Old Boy. And this is truly one of my favorite movies ever made. I mean, this is easily in my top 100 list if I'm ever putting that thing together. Um, Ever since the first time I saw this movie, it's floored me. And I've probably watched it, I don't know, five or six times since then. And every time I watch it, I love it. It's just stylistically, it's fantastic. Uh, It's very well acted. And its story and its twist at the end are so vicious, so hard to watch, so shocking and surprising um, that I, I just always recommend this movie to anyone if you're getting into foreign film or if you uh, if you like foreign movies or if you just like thrillers. If you like thrillers and action movies, uh, you got to check out Old Boy. That right now is on Netflix, and I could not recommend it more. I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite movies ever made. But again, it's a Korean. It's, in sub, it's subtitled, so if you don't like subtitles, you're not going to dig it. But uh, give it a chance because I think you'll really like this movie, and it will shock the hell out of you. Watch it with someone else. Because uh, just to see their reaction and your own reaction when everything's revealed and how this all shakes out in the end, uh, I I don't think you'll ever forget it. And on Amazon, if you've got Amazon Prime, uh, a movie that uh, I raved about on this podcast a couple of uh, years ago is Interstellar, which came out in 2014. That's now on Amazon. And if you didn't get to watch Interstellar, Gorgeous film, one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. Uh, it was directed by uh, uh, Christopher Nolan, who did the Dark Knight movies. Um, and this movie, I, I I don't know if I would say it was underrated. It made a lot of money, and it did get critical acclaim, but I still feel like people didn't talk about it as much as they did like the Dark Knight movies and stuff. And Interstellar, to me, was so impressive, so heart-pounding, and uh, just, just such a, an exercise in epic filmmaking. 
Um, Inter- I've truly never seen another movie quite like Interstellar, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It's Matthew McConaughey, uh, Jessica Chastain, really good film, uh, just, you know, about, uh, you know, space travel and about human connections and about, uh, you know, family, and, and it's it's just a really, really, really good uh, movie and really nothing like it. Like I said, totally original, and I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed this film a lot. So Interstellar right now is on Amazon, and Old Boy is on Netflix. So there you go. That's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. We'll talk to you in a few weeks from now. Please uh, hit us up on email, theclintdavis at gmail.com or sedlackjournal at gmail.com. And uh, follow us on Facebook. Like us, or, uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at overdue underscore review and check us out online at overduereview.com thank you guys very much for listening again i'm clint davis thanks to andy sedlak our music editor as well appreciate you very much talk to you guys next time until then stream on normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to health care it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.